Please be seated, everybody. Welcome to 2020. All right. Hey, you have never lived this long before. Just want you to know. You've never lived this long before. Some of you didn't think you would live this long. Amen? Yep. But you have made it. You have made it to the year 2020. Uh, you just thought it was a television show, some of you. But no, it is actually, it's actually an entire year. And you get to live it. And you get to experience it. And who knows what's going to happen in, in 2020. Only God. But I can guarantee you this. That no matter what happens, God is going to be present in what happens. So you can have hope. You don't have to be consumed by fear. You, you, you can be confident. You can live courageously. 2020 is going to be perhaps the best year of your life. Or... You're not going to like to clap about this. Or it might be the worst year of your life, all right? Just trying to be, keep it real, right? Somebody's out there going, that's right, it's going to be the worst year. I already know, all you Eeyores out there have already decided 2020 is not going to be good. Oh, 2020, who knows? Who knows what is, um, man, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, it's almost like you kind of wake up in a dream, and you're like, really, is it? Is this really 2020? Has this happened? Have I really lived this long? Have I experienced, you know, this much of, uh, of life? And it's really, uh, it's really crazy. It's really, really kind of weird. So I was thinking about this whole idea of being in a dream state, and I found a quote by a guy named Frederick Beekner. And he's a Presbyterian minister and, and writer, and he says that as far as I know, there has never been an age that has not produced, he says, fairy tales. There's never been an age that hasn't produced fairy tales. And he says the reason for fairy tales is that they are, that they are universal and that they try to teach us what we most need to know about, about life. They tell us that things are not always as they seem. You know, when you look at this picture that's going to be up on the screen, you, you see a lot of, of your favorite characters that you have perhaps grown up with in time. And these are characters that perhaps you yourself have dreamed about. And, and perhaps you have wished that your life could be like one, of, like one of theirs. And you could experience being able to find that ugly frog that is really a prince. Or maybe you have experienced their life and that lovely stepmother is actually an evil witch. Maybe, maybe you have experienced the life of, of the fairy tale. They tell us that there's another world that this world points to. That that, that world is not so far away and it's a world that, that we have no control of. They tell us that stepping into a wardrobe or, or going down a rabbit hole or, or rubbing a magic lamp can all of a sudden change everything. Because what was ordinary is suddenly the vehicle of the extraordinary. And often the problem in these different fairy tales is that because of a curse or a spell, someone, well, someone has fallen to a death sleep. And it's a sleep that they just are powerless to awake from. Maybe it's the bite of a poison apple. Maybe it's because the finger was pricked on a spinning wheel. It's a nap that lasts for 20 years. Recently, there was a television series that's called Once Upon a Time. And maybe some of you guys are, are big fans of that. If you haven't seen it, I think you can binge watch it on Netflix right now. And you can go and see how they gave this whole idea of the fairy tale and, and falling into the death sleep a, a really interesting twist. All of our favorite fairy tale characters, according to Once Upon a Time, 
are actually alive and well and living in the town of Storybrook with no knowledge of their past identities due to a powerful curse that was cast in their realm in which they lived and now they are alive and well living in our realm living in our world and have and have no idea of who they actually are they are living a dream from which they are powerless to awake in these type of stories they captivate our attention and and we grew up telling them from, from grandparent to parent and from parent to child, we've enjoyed watching them on the silver screen. And I think it's because, and I don't know if you've thought about this before, but all of these stories are actually rooted in a biblical reality. You see, these stories are our stories because we are all sleepers. We're all sleepers. We find ourselves blind to urgent matters as if a spell has been cast over us. And when we find ourselves sleepwalking, oftentimes through life, spending our time passing the hours with little trinkets while the urgent often goes undone, we're asleep but we don't realize it. And to us, the dream state that we have around us, this dream state in which we are living, it is the only existence that it appears that there actually is. Like the man in Jesus' parable, we are content to take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And we, like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, lie oblivious to the reality that is around us. And as a result, well, we, live, we live for our pleasures. We live for our passions. And we consume whatever it is that we want. We lie, we cheat, we steal. We hurt. We are hurt. We are overcome by fear and, and we end up losing hope. Now there are those moments where we are awakened, if only just for a moment. There are those moments where we have this glimpse of perhaps what life could be. And like Ebenezer Scrooge, who awakened to the pain of his miserly past, we straighten up and we yawn and we stretch and, and it becomes obvious to us the failings that we've had perhaps as a husband or a wife. It becomes obvious to us, our work, workaholism, uh, the reality that we've been living perhaps with bitterness and, and anger. For some of us, we awaken to new passions. Passion for music, passion for rock climbing, or a calling to, calling to stand up against injustice, to, to speak out against things that are, well, that everyone should know is wrong. Or perhaps, perhaps just for a moment, we awaken to God in our life. It's what happens in Scripture. You see, Scripture is the story of awakenings. A fugitive from Egypt named Moses seems a, sees a burning bush that he has passed by hundreds of times, but this time it's on fire. This time it catches his attention. And he goes and he turns and he listens and he hears the voice of God. And over and over again, the Bible points to another deep reality. That there is another world and that there is another existence. That there is another life. If only we could awaken to this other reality. Author Robert Mulholland writes that the story of Scripture serves to awaken us towards two primary realities. First is an encounter with the true God of our world. And the second is that we encounter the truth about ourselves. Ourselves as we really are. And he says until that happens, there can actually be no 
true possibility of spiritual life. That we are dead to that possibility. But with the awakening, he writes that, well, there comes two primary emotions. We have comfort because we realize that, that there is a God and he is good and he is control. And with him, all things are right and as they should be. But there's also a threat because there's much in us that's not good. And if we have to change to live the life of God. And change means pain. I don't know if I want to change. But see, without such awakenings, the energy and power of spiritual life recedes. And faith becomes just something that's secondhand. Faith becomes just something that's routine. William James wrote about the experience of awakenings happening in individuals to whom religion exists, not as a dull habit, but, but instead as an acute fever. I want you to think about it for a moment. No one was ever saved from addiction or moved to give away their possessions or inspired to go to jail for civil rights by a dull habit. It wasn't a dull habit that caused a woman to anoint Jesus' feet. It wasn't a dull habit that caused Matthew to consider a career change. It wasn't a dull habit that, that gave boldness to Stephen or fueled the generosity of Barnabas or the humility of Mary. No one comes into contact with Jesus and goes away with a dull habit. Instead, it was an acute fever that led Mother Teresa to the slums of Calcutta. It was an acute fever that inspired William Tyndall to translate Scripture. It was an acute fever that, that moved Martin Luther to, to challenge the status quo. It was an acute fever, that same fever that moved Martin Luther King to call out prejudice and oppression. Men and women burning with an acute fever of faith have been used throughout the centuries by God to bring his kingdom ethic to a world that has been rocked to sleep by pain and, and heartache and suffering and injustice. If only we could wake up. If only we could wake up and experience that fever. You see, from the earliest times, teachers have struggled how to wake up students. Can I get an amen from all the teachers that are out there, right? Now, when I was in school, I had a couple of teachers that had interesting strategies. Erasers apparently were great alarm clocks. Uh, some of you, you, you remember this, right? You, or perhaps not you, but a good friend of yours, right? A good friend of yours who looked a lot like you and dressed like you and, and slept right there in your desk would oftentimes be hit across the side of the head by an eraser. And if eraser didn't work, well, a marker was just as good, right? To wake you up and to get you alert again. A Sumerian riddle asked, Whoever enters has closed eyes. Whoever departs has eyes that are wide open. What is it? And the answer, well, the answer is a school. Because closed eyes are a picture of ignorance and prejudice and, and even a refusal to know. In the, ancient, in the ancient Israelite world, students were introduced to, to three different paths of knowledge and, and learning. They were introduced to a way of, of observing the world so that they may grow in their understanding. They were told to learn from others so that wisdom might be passed from person to person. And they were encouraged to seek a direct encounter with the transcendent one. And that, friends, is the path that we seek in 2020. An encounter with our creator. 
an acute fever that awakens us to the world as it can be. But for this to take place, we're going to have to do some climbing. We're going to have to do some climbing because the Bible, among other things, is a book about mountains. And very often in the Bible, people have encounters with God on mountains. I mean, they're mentioned hundreds of times as you read through Scripture. Moses meets the divine presence at a burning bush on what is called the mountain of God. It was, out, it was on Mount Sinai where, where God made his covenant with his people and where his people pulled back and chose to keep him at a distance. It was on a mountain that Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. Mountains especially marked the life of Jesus. It was on a high mountain that he renounced the temptation to receive all the kingdoms of the world that Satan would lay at his feet. It was on a mountain where he would go and choose his disciples. The most famous talk in all of human history is known as the Sermon on the what? Mount. The most famous and influential death in history was on a hill called Mount Calvary. It was there where humanity witnessed the full extent of God's love. The most famous and influential mission in history to make disciples of all the world, telling individuals to obey Jesus in everything well, it was given by Jesus to his followers on a mountain where he had told them to go. You see, it's on a mountain where, where heaven and earth come closest together. It is on a mountain where you're able to see the earth around you from a new perspective. It is on a mountain where you're able to be elevated to a point where you are able to see above your normal way of sight. Obstacles that normally loom huge and large are very much smaller whenever you go to the mountain. It is on a mountain that we receive the gift of vision. In church, it is vision that we desperately need in 2020. We're told that one day that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted and, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. The idea wasn't just that they would occupy the same space. To be with Jesus meant that they would become his intimate friends, that they, would, that they would open their heart to him, that they would enjoy him and admire him and then learn to trust him. The idea was that they would ultimately be undone and then remade by him. Jesus called them on a mountain because a calling is a mountaintop experience. And the disciples awoke that day to a purpose and an identity that they didn't have before. It was something new. It was something that was fresh. It was something that was unique. And the primary calling was simply to be with Jesus. The calling was not to go and start a religious movement. The calling was not line up all your P's and Q's. The calling was not dot your I's and cross your T's. The calling was be with God. Be with God. And that time that they would spend with Jesus would imprint upon them his character. And it would be imprinted on them in such a way that when they went out on mission and when they went out with message that others realized that they were unschooled ordinary men who scripture says had been with Jesus. One author wrote, better to be unschooled and ordinary with Jesus than schooled and extraordinary without Jesus. A mountain is a place of awakening to a reality that we often cannot see in the valley. And above all, it is the awakening to the gospel of Jesus. 
the availability of life for all in the presence of and in the power of and in the graceful care of God right here and right now. But author Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, he talks about how that faith is so hard, especially for those of us living in the Western world. He notes that, uh, that life 500 years ago, well, he said it was hard for people not to believe in God. But today, even those who would call themselves believers live in a valley of doubt. We live in what he calls an, an imminent frame. It, it's a boxed-in way of, of seeing and viewing the world that, that simply assumes that the material reality is all that exists. And, and according to this view, we, we live in a ter terrarium, a very large and complex cosmic terrarium with a lid on it. And we're boxed in. However, we long for what, for what is called a full life. We long for real moral goodness. We, we, we long for beauty. We long for truly reasonable lives. But we are no longer confident. We're no longer confident in a transcendent spiritual and moral realm that makes all of that real. And it's the reason for our fear. It's the reason for our lost hope. It's the reason for our worry and our anxiety. It's the reason for our bitterness and for our anger. It's the reason for our hatred. It's the reason for all those things that are so ungodlike because deep down we're afraid that there is no God. Because we live in a fairy tale world. Feeling as if there's something more but not being sure what that is. Walking day by day as if sleepwalking through life in a dream. And that's why I believe we need mountains. We need mountains. In fact, we need a lot of them. So don't be surprised if during this new year we put on our gear and we go for a climb. Sometimes when we get together, the hikes might just take a day and sometimes it might go on for a few months. But friends, I truly believe that there is another world and things are not what they seem. And that God wants to awaken each and every one of us to that reality. No matter how long we have said that we believe, no matter how long we said that we have walked with him, could it be that there is still a part of us that is blinded to the presence of God and to the reality that is actually around us? It's why the story of what is called the transfiguration of Jesus plays such a prominent role in the New Testament. It is, it is our journey through the wardrobe and down the rabbit hole and up the beanstalk. It's our glimpse into a, another world and enables us to see this one a little bit more clearly. So for the next couple of weeks, when we come together, when we're going to go, we're going to go up Mount Tabor. And, and we're going to walk with Jesus. And we're going to walk with those disciples that he called. And we're hopefully going to have our eyes opened. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. The lid was all of a sudden ripped off the terrarium. All of a sudden, Peter, James, and John, they couldn't live in their box anymore. They had been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, learning from him, having his character imprinted on them, and yet Jesus knew they needed more. That there was another level. That there was something else that they were not yet able to see. That there was another 
level that they needed to obtain in their own understanding of who he was and what he could do. And so he rips the lid off. He says, you want to see something amazing? Why don't you come with me? The likely reason for Matthew telling us this time frame is, is because in the Bible, six days is often the number of days that's needed to prepare for a transcendent experience. If you remember, creation happened in six days. And on the seventh day, God invited people into the experience of Sabbath. For six days, the glory of God covered Mount Sinai. And then on the seventh day, God called to Moses to enter into the cloud. And then here in Matthew, six days have passed since Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the call to the mountaintop does not always come on our timetable. It comes at the right time, not at our time. The sixth day, not the first day. And so he invites Peter, James, and John to an experience he wants to share an experience with them that will create a new level of knowing and intimacy in their relationship. And you know what? They could have begged off. They could have decided that, that they didn't have enough time. They could have said, you know what? I've got too much disciple work to do for Jesus, and I don't have time to be with Jesus. Oftentimes, Peter, James, and John got a lot wrong, but this time they got it right. Jesus called them to a mountaintop experience, and they said yes. Author Dallas Willard said that persons are made up of experiences. That we don't consist merely or even primarily of cells or tissues. Our real lives are a series of experiences. And that's why we treasure sunsets or a great meal or a view from a mountaintop. You know, you, you guys, we use our cell phones all the time to, to, to document these moments now. And we like to document them with, with our face right there in the picture. Because if your face isn't there, it didn't happen. We've got this new word for it called selfie. But have you, have you heard that there is something new beyond this selfie experience? Now there are slofies. You guys aware, aware of this now? You can take like a slow motion selfie. I know. You've waited until 2020 to be able to do that. Some of you thought it would never happen. And yet the moment is here and it's right now. You know, you never wake up in the morning and you think, you know what, I think I'm going to go take a selfie today. You know what, I, I think here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to take a selfie today. No, we do it when we're standing in front of an ocean or beside a waterfall or we're at a concert or we're, we're with friends. We're having an experience and we want to document that experience. We want people to know, look what I have experienced. C.S. Lewis writes that our deepest experiences awaken a desire. Awaken a desire within us that we can hardly find a name for. And it's a desire that the material world is, is not able to satisfy. He writes, our experiences, they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country that we have never yet visited. Do you think I am trying to weave a spell? Perhaps I am, but remember your fairy tales. Spells are used for breaking enchantments as well as for inducing them. And you and I have a need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us up from the evil enchantment of worldliness which has been laid out upon us. He then writes, We remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. 
Friends, Jesus knew that spiritual awakening begins with an experience of God. When we become aware of his presence. And it may come through beauty. Maybe it's a walk in the forest or a piece of music. Or perhaps in your life it comes through pain. It's the loss of a job, the end of a marriage, a dire diagnosis. Or maybe it's change. You fall in love. It's the birth of a baby. Maybe it comes through scripture. It might happen in a church service. It might happen in a prison. It might be quite undramatic. But it happens. We become aware of the reality of the unseen. To quote Father Kavanaugh from the movie Rudy, there is a God and I am not him. And when we awaken to that, Evelyn Underhill says that that awakening, it's, it's primarily an unselfing. I like that. It's an unselfing. We realize, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about my beliefs. It's not about my desires. It's about God. You see, the first time that we awaken, we awaken at birth, and it's to our own little world where, where my desire, your desire, was all about survival. That's what was at the center. But on the mountain, on the mountaintop, I awaken to a much larger world, and my ego is decentered, and I am open to intimacy with God. And that intimacy, guys, it's a shared experience. That's why you invite someone over to watch a movie or to watch the ball game or you invite someone to get a cup of coffee with you. You invite someone to take a walk with you. And it's a vulnerable thing to invite others to experience what you are experiencing. But when you invite someone to share in their experience, you invite them a little step into intimacy. And by inviting Peter, James, and John up the mountain, Jesus was inviting them into an intimacy with God that they had never experienced before. And here's what I believe. Even though I have been a Christian for many, many years, I still do not truly understand what intimacy with God is. And here's what I believe. I don't care how long you've called yourself a follower. I don't care how long you can say that you've been a part of church. None of us, none of us have truly seen God to the fullest extent that he would like for us to. There is an intimacy that is still waiting out there. It's the reason for our pain. It's the reason for the hurt. It's the reason for some of the ugliness that you see that goes on in our world. As People live boxed in thinking that this is all that there is. And they look at what there is and say, can there not be anything better? It's our greatest need to be with God. To be with God. I can remember growing up as a child and, and hearing in people's prayers how they would say, Lord, come quickly. And I can remember being a kid saying, P.S., please don't. Because I wasn't ready to go. I wasn't ready to go. There were so many things that I wanted to do. So many things that I wanted to experience. So, so many things of life that I wanted to be able to enjoy. How could this individual, how could this man, how could this woman be asking, please Lord, come quickly. It's because they understood something that I'm just beginning to comprehend. 
I still need God. And I need him at a more deeper level than I've ever experienced him before because he remains my greatest need. So Jesus would look at his followers and say, I've got a mountain that I want to take you to. Will you come with me? And here in 2020, he's going to look to you and he's going to look to the people who are around you and he's going to say the same thing. I've got a mountain that I want you to come to. I've got a mountain that I want you to join me on. Do you have the time? Will you take the time to come? To prepare yourself for where Jesus is going to lead, I would like for you to do something this morning right here and right now. I would love for you to take out your phone and, and set a Jesus alarm. I want you to set a Jesus alarm that will go off each day at a certain time. You get to choose the time. You get to choose whatever time, whatever time you want. And here's the reason that you're going to set this. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to, to stop at that moment and you're going to enter into 30 minutes of scripture study. That's, if that's what you want to do, that's great. But more than anything, I want you to set an alarm because I want you to be reminded that Jesus is calling you to a mountain because he wants you to experience him at a deeper level. And I want you to stop each day to be able to, to have a moment with God. And maybe it's a time where you say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to put on my favorite song and I'm going to focus on it and I'm going to listen to it over and over here just for the next minute because it's the song that helps focus me best on God. Maybe it's a time that you spend in prayer. Maybe it's a time that you just get up and you just walk around the office just for a moment and just think about the way in which you have been blessed. Maybe it's a time that you think about family. Maybe it's a time when, when you look through your checkbook and you begin to realize, you know what? God has blessed me so much. How can I be generous this year in 2020? I don't know, I don't want you to. I want you to set it. I want you to take out your phone and I want you to go and say, I want you to, I want you to look on here. I want you to say, I want, I'm going to put this time down. And here's what we're going to do. Each day this alarm's going to go off and it's going to be my reminder that Jesus is going to take me to a mountain. He's going to take me to a mountain so that I might be able to experience him more clearly. It's your Jesus alarm. In the middle of the desert in Imperial County, California, there's a mountain. And the mountain doesn't belong there. As you can see in the photograph, it's an enormous piece of, of folk art. And it's called Salvation Mountain. It's several stories high, and it's made of adobe and straw and dirt and junk. And it's topped with a cross and adorned with sayings like, Jesus is the way, and and God forgives sinners, and God never fails. It was constructed over decades by a man named Leonard Knight. He spent most of his time just doing odd jobs in the Midwest, but for some reason he decided that the world needed a salvation mountain. And so he labored year in and year out, sometimes through 115 degree days. He used over 100,000 gallons of paint. He was an ordinary, unschooled man with an acute fever. His hope was to inspire people to know that God is love. No one seems to know what to make of it really now, whether it's, it's art or a landfill. And yet people find themselves strangely drawn to make a pilgrimage there. Thousands of people go to Salvation Mountain from around the world every year, and oftentimes they will, they will leave little small items as symbols of, of giving themselves over to God. Recently, rock star 
Kesha recorded a song after experiencing hurt that was deep and personal and public. It's called Praying. It's a raw and searing, honest pouring out of her soul. It begins with a voiceover and tries to make sense of pain and guilt. It says, if there is a God or whatever, why have I been abandoned? And then she sings to the one that hurt her and, well, she hopes that he's praying as well, just like she is. It's a song about hurt. It's a song about confusion. It's a song that aches for justice, for the possibility that there is something beyond revenge, that there's something beyond this terrarium that we live in. She is conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. And she filmed the music video on Salvation Mountain. Friends, we're all searching for a better way. A better world. A better existence. A life where there are not shootings in houses of worship. A life where there's not killings going on across the globe. A life where the hungry are fed and, and those without homes have a place to lay their head. A life with no cancers, a life with no Alzheimer's, a, a life with no debt, a, a life with no loss. We're searching for something better. And to that end, Jesus invites us to join him on a salvation mountain and experience life as it was meant to be. Fully awake, fully alive, fully with God. There is another world. There is another existence. There is another life. And may 2020 be the year that we all wake up. That we all wake up to the acute fever of what life with God is meant to be. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Did you hear the alarm? Are you starting to get a glimpse? There's something besides this life. Would you like to see what it's like? Would you like to go up on the mountain? If so, God invites you to come to him. Be with him. Do you have questions about that? Would you like to talk about it more? Maybe you've already seen and had that mountaintop experience. Maybe you want to come before this family today and say 2020 is going to be a year where I am with God. Can we pray for you? Can we hold up your hands? Can we celebrate your baptism into Christ as we start a new year? There's more to this life than what you've experienced. The alarm's ringing. It's time to wake up. Let's stand and sing.